0: welcome to the james river church podcast you're about to hear another inspirational message from pastor john Lindell. it's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life if you have your bibles i invite you to turn with me to matthew chapter 1 matthew chapter 1 before we take communion together i want to talk to you this morning on the theme a courageous christmas a courageous christmas When we think of Christmas, we don't often think of courage. But whenever God wants to do something in us, through us, with us, for us, he calls us to be courageous. Earlier this year, when we were looking at the life of Joshua, we saw a part of God's call to Joshua was that if he was going to be led by God, used by God, directed by God, it would require a response of courage on his part. Remember in Joshua chapter one and verse six, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. Leading people into a new season requires courage. Verse seven, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left. To obey God's word requires courage. Not just courage, but lots of courage to obey God's word. When you look in verse nine, it says this, have I not commanded you Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It takes courage to believe that God is with you when you're going into places and spaces and seasons where you've never been before. It requires courage. The life of faith is a life of courage. And on that first Christmas it took great courage for Mary to believe what the angel told her and to walk that out and to not only walk it out and say, well, I'll do it, but to celebrate God's goodness as she was doing it. It's an amazing step of courage. And then it took courage for Joseph who had a dream, Mary has the angel appear to her. Joseph has a dream. And in that moment, he has a choice. How will he respond? And it will require courage. I don't know that I've ever really thought of Joseph in that light. I've thought of him as a good man, as a man who listens to God, as a kind man. He wants to be gracious and kind to Mary as he dissolves their relationship. But one of the things I've noticed as I've read the Christmas story this year is that Joseph was a person of tremendous courage. And his life speaks to the kind of courage that you and I need if we're going to walk with the Lord and experience his work and his goodness in our life. So this morning, I wanna give you four areas of courage from the life of Joseph where four areas where we need that courage. Number one, courage to accept the animosity of the world. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter one and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That word birth, an interesting word, it it could be translated genealogy. It's the Greek word genesis, the genesis, the beginning of Jesus' story. Not the beginning of Jesus, he is without beginning but the beginning of his life on earth. The genealogy, how things came to uh, pass in Matthew chapter one and verse one, the book of the genealogy, it's that same word, the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we start here and, and this is how it all started. This is where it begins, back to verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Let me just stop and explain that for a moment. In those days, marriages were arranged by the parents, which I still don't think is a bad idea. In fact, I would say this. If you're considering marrying somebody, a good person to ask what they think is your mom or your dad. If your parents aren't for it, they know more than you know, and they see things you don't see, and they know you at times, in some ways better than you you know yourself, and you're wise to listen to your mom or your dad. God has given them wisdom. He's given them insight and that day what happened was parents would arrange the marriages and they would decide who their children were going to marry and it could happen very early in life once the betrothal was enacted and the couple was put together in terms of legally a binding not just an engagement but more than that because the betrothal was so binding that in order to break it there would have to be a legal divorce so the parents would have the girl and the boy come together it would be announced that they would be married the betrothal would last approximately a year the girl's family would pay the boy's family or the boy would pay they would pay him a dowry so he would use that money to typically add a room onto the house of his parents' home so that he and his wife would have a place to live and they would become a part of that family. You were literally, in the eyes of society, considered a married couple. There would be minimal social interaction during that time. In fact, you may not really even know the person you were going to marry. Girls were betrothed at a younger age. Mary probably was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. Joseph probably between the ages of 18 and 20. And here's what we read in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, so before they've had sexual relationship, Before they are married officially and have the wedding ceremony, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this? Here's Joseph. Put yourself in his sandals for just a moment. You're sitting there. You don't really know this girl. You know about her. You know she's highly spoken of. You know of her family. You know your parents say this is a good thing, and you believe it until Mary comes to you and Mary tells you, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is the angel Gabriel appeared to me and told me I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. This was something every Jewish girl hoped for, dreamed of. This was good news. Then she says, but I've got bad news. I'm pregnant and I swear I've not been intimate with another man. Joseph now faces this huge decision. His choice is not between giving Mary a second chance and filing for divorce. In Jewish society at that time, it would be demanded that he would divorce her since she had obviously been adulteress, If Joseph does not divorce her, it will disgrace him, it will disgrace his family as her disgrace becomes their disgrace and he will be viewed for the rest of his life with contempt as a weak man who did not defend his honor or the honor of his family. Here's Joseph, and he's trying to figure out, what do do I do? The the choice isn't, do I or do I not divorce her? The choice is really, do I make a public spectacle out of her? Do Do I expose her to the shame that ultimately is gonna be hers anyway? Or do I try to go easy and do this as quietly as I can, although the news will come out at some point? Verse 19 says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man. You could translate that being a righteous man, being a, a, a man who was steady in the things of God. This is a guy who ate kosher. This is a guy who was at the synagogue. This is a guy who loved God as much or more than most. This is a guy who observed the religious holidays. This is a guy who fasted. This is a guy who was committed to God. He is a man people look up to. Verse 19, we read this, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame. It's not that she's not gonna know shame, it's just he's saying, if I can delay it for a little bit, I will resolved to divorce her quietly. He would quietly put her away, quietly break the betrothal. It would preserve his honor as much as was possible. He would keep the dowry. And he's thinking about these things. It says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, here's what he's thinking. I'm a righteous person. I'm respected in the community. My financial future is at stake. My standing in the community is at stake. My standing in the synagogue is at stake. The future of my children's respect is at stake. My relationship with my family is at stake. What she did was wrong. Deuteronomy 22 said sex outside of marriage was not allowed. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna gonna divorce her, but I'm gonna do it quietly. But I am not gonna have her as my wife. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, in other words, like, can you believe this? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It's not the same as Mary. Mary has Gabriel, the angel, come to her when she is fully conscious, she's awake, and the angel has an interaction and a conversation with her. Joseph doesn't have the same interaction with God's will or God's plan. This is a dream. And the angel isn't conversing with Joseph, the angel is directing Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do you know what the angel is saying here when he says, don't fear to take Mary as your wife? He's saying, Joseph, your problem isn't that you are trying to do the right thing, your problem is you're letting fear control you. Wow. That's wild. Come on. See, a lot of times, and fear can be very rational, at least in our own mind. Well, I have good reason to be concerned. I have good worry, or good reason to be worried. I'm worried because of this, because I, my anxiety is not ill-founded. i you know, there's this, there's this, there's this, and what can happen is we can legitimize the fear, and the word there is phobia, phobos, we get our word phobia from it, we can legitimize fear in our life if we want to. And the angel is saying, hey, let's get this straight. It's not you trying to figure out how to do the right thing. The issue is fear is controlling you. And Joseph, you cannot be afraid of what the world is going to think if you're going to follow God's plan for your life. You've got to say, listen, I'm not going to let fear dominate me. I'm not going to let fear be my counselor. I'm not going to let fear be the way by which I chart my course and make my decisions. Joseph knows Mary's life in terms of society is ruined. For the rest of her life, she will be haunted by this pregnancy in terms of society. They will say to Jesus as a grown man, we know who our father is, who's yours. She never got away from it. He never got away from it. Joseph knows that's what's going to happen. But here's the thing, if you're going to walk with God and you're going to experience the hand of God, the blessing of God, and what could be a greater blessing than to have the opportunity to interact with the God of the universe as your adopted child. I mean, talk about honor of honor. But if he gives in to fear, that's gone. You and I can forfeit what God wants to do in our life. We can forfeit the opportunity. We can forfeit the favor. We can forfeit the grace if we get caught up in what the world thinks about us. I'm not talking about a I don't care what anybody thinks type attitude that becomes brash and abrasive and delights in offending. I'm talking about when God speaks to your heart, oftentimes the world is not going to understand it. They're not going to understand your values. They're not going to understand your decisions. They're not going to understand why you go to church as often as you do, why you give like you do, why you serve like you do, why you talk like you do, why your priorities are like they are. But if you're going to know God's blessing. You have to have the courage to accept the animosity of the world. Joseph is faced with the choice and he says, I'm going to have courage and I'm not going to let the animosity of the world or the world's opinion direct what I do. Students in school, at some point, you've got to decide you're not going to be influenced by peer pressure. You're not going to give in to what the world thinks. Moms and dads, you can't be influenced by the peer pressure of neighbors and what different people think at work. You've got to say, listen, I'm walking with God, and you may not understand it, but I know if I'm serving him faithfully, God is faithful, and he will favor my life. Matthew chapter one and verse 20, look at this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, that certainly clears everything up. (laughs) Not. I mean, his concerns are, what will people think? What will my family think? What will happen to my future and my, my business? What's, what's going to happen? The livelihood. I, my name is ruined. I'll, I'll be marked. Listen, if you don't think that's a very real possibility, the fact of Jesus being not knowing who his father was, at least from an earthly standpoint. Remember in John chapter eight, what the people, what the Jewish leaders said to him? They said, we know who our father is. You know, it it dogged Jesus all of his life. His concern is very real. Listen, sometimes, sometimes our concerns can be very real, but again, we can't listen to our fears. We have to be willing to step in to the reality of God speaking and trust him. And he has, he has every reason not to do that. I mean, he can say, look, it's a dream. Mary at least had the angel Gabriel in person appearing to her, but Joseph, have you ever had like a dream and in your dream were things somebody had told you the day before, like somebody says, you know, um, this and this is going on in my life or I had this happen and then it makes, your, it makes its way into your dream the next night and you're like, wow, that's really crazy. But then you think about it, you're like, well, I thought of that because of what they told. Me. I mean, everybody's had that experience. He could be thinking that. Well, the reason why I'm dreaming about an angel is because Mary said she saw an angel. And so I wonder, how do I know this is a dream? It's not like he saw an angel, he had a dream. You see, sometimes we want God speaking to be so definitive to us before we'll act. But if we, if we put God in that kind of box, we go without his working in our life, and we forfeit the favor that could have been on us as we made that journey had we stepped out in faith. It takes courageous faith to step into the adventure of God's will. I wanna ask you a couple of questions. Are are you waiting till you understand everything and know how it's gonna play out before you step out in faith? Are, are you waiting before you can say with 100% clarity, I know that I know that I know it was God before you step out? Then you'll be waiting forever. There are some times when I have known that I, known that I knew that I knew that I knew it was God, but those times are the exception, not the rule. Oftentimes it's a sense. Oftentimes it's, it's Circumstances, this is the value of of spending time in the presence of the Lord. It warms your heart to the presence of the Lord so that when you go through your day, you're sensitive when he is prompting you, when he's stirring you, and and sometimes his voice comes through other people. But are are you opened to stepping out in faith? Honestly, for some this morning, this is a Joseph moment for you. Because as I'm talking, you know what God has said to you. As I'm talking about God prompting, as I'm talking about God stirring, as I'm talking about God leading, you, you all of a sudden are aware of a circumstance where, and, and it's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, like what pastor's talking about, yeah, in your life, that's what he's talking about. It's a Joseph moment. But you're gonna have to have courage to accept the adventure of God's will. Number three, you're gonna to have to have courage to accept the authority of God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's one of the striking things, and I guess I've never really thought of it this way till this week, but I'm reading the story, it dawns on me that the angel is telling him, you don't get to name your child. That's, I mean, usually that's something parents like to do, right? How many of you, you have a name, and you're like, why did they give me that name? I mean, you've said to your parents, you know, I don't like my name, why did, why did you name me that? Because they're your mom and dad, that's their right. When you're in charge, when you have the authority, you get to assign the name. When you're the parent, you get to give the name. You say, well, I'm not a parent. Then get a cat, give it a name. Of course, you're never really in charge of a cat. Cats <laughs> cats are kind of, want to be in charge of an animal, get a dog. But uh, he doesn't get a name. He doesn't get a name, his firstborn son. This is a really big deal in that society, more so than in our society, because the name identified who somebody was, what they would do. You say, well, all that's wound up in there, but the father gets to do that. Remember Zachariah, when, when he is, John the Baptist is born, There, uh, he can't he can't hear. He's struck deaf, he's, 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 he's mute, he can't speak because he didn't believe, and so they motion to him, what do you want to name the child? He asked for a tablet, and they, they, he writes on it, his name will be John, and they're like, well, there's nobody by that name, because in that day, but the angel had told him, you're gonna name him John, which, by the way, is a really good name. Um, <laughs> you shall call his name Jesus. Typically, you would name him after somebody in the family, like maybe Joseph's father, who's Jacob or the great-grandfather whose name is Eleazar, or some other person in the family, but the angel says you don't get to name him. Why? What it's saying is, this child is not gonna be under your control, you're gonna be under his. Your authority won't identify him, his authority will identify you. You know, it's so interesting because what, what happens is in our world, people want to identify God. They want to define God. They want to, they, well, I think God's like this, or I think God's like that, or, or I think God should have done this. And they, they, it's as if they're the authority and they're gonna define who God is and what he should do. But we don't name God, he names us. I mean, in heaven, in Revelation, everybody gets a new name. You say, what is that name? You gotta wait till you get there. (laughs) Heaven, he's gonna give you a new name. We don't decide his identity, he decides ours. He doesn't bend to our thoughts, we bow to his will. All of that speaks to this issue that it takes courage to accept the authority of God. Here's Joseph, and now all of a sudden, he's not only got a wife who's carrying a son that is not his, but now he can't even name the son, and he's going to have to explain to people the name Jesus, because nobody in the family tree has that name. He could say, I don't like that. He could say, I'm gonna change that. What does it really matter? That's what some people try to do with the word of God, but at any point that you do that, you miss out on God's plan. God's word is his word. And it takes courage to say, I accept it for what it says, and I will build my life on it. In verse 24, I love this. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. When he got up, he gets out of bed, and he's like, okay, Mary's gonna be my wife. I mean, there's no pause. There's no like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to think about this a while. First of all, I'm gonna have to decide if that dream really was. Did I really see an angel? Is that, man, what did I eat last night? Was it the pepperoni? Was it the, I mean, he could have said, I need to go talk to this person, that person, I need, I need, I gotta clear my head, this is too big. A life-altering decision, and he says, I'm in. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, so there was no sexual relationship there, and he called his name Jesus. God says it, he does it. And this becomes a pattern in his life that is absolutely critical. You know, we don't don't often think of this, but oftentimes there are windows of opportunity where is God gracious? Sure he is, but there are windows of opportunity where if we act, we are blessed. And if we don't, there is a forfeit to what might've been. I mean, and sometimes, that forfeit can be in some ways of epic proportions that, that I, I believe we'll never know this side of heaven. Here's Joseph, I mean, look at this later. We read in Matthew chapter two and verse 13, when they, that's the Magi, departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Again, it's in a dream. Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Now, listen, think about this. He doesn't speak Egyptian. He he doesn't know a soul down there. He has every reason to say, time out. I, it was a dream. I mean, how do I know this is really, really real? If he waits, he's a dead man. But in the middle of the night, he's gone. I mean, this is what it looks like. When God speaks, you move. When God speaks, you move. When God speaks, you move. When he prompts you, you move. You, you take that step, you step into it. And you see it again later in Matthew chapter two, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream again saying, "'Rise, take the child and his mother "'and go to the land of Israel.'" And so he goes there and and I mean, he's no doubt wanting to go back to Bethlehem, but we read on later in those verses that he was warned in a dream again. Don't go to Judea, but go to Galilee. And we have to believe that God is directing him. And he went and lived in the city of Nazareth. That's the last place in the world you're gonna to wanna to live. Why is that? A Couple of reasons. Mary's from there. Everybody knows what went down. His past, he is, they're never gonna be able to outrun Mary's past and the gossip in Nazareth. But God sends him there and God says, that's where I want you. Why? Because there's a scripture that says he will be called a Nazarene. It takes courage, it takes courage to accept the animosity of the world. It takes courage to accept the adventure of God's will it takes courage to accept the authority of God's word. When God speaks, it takes courage to step into it. But when you do, you're blessed. Fourth and finally, we'll close here. It takes courage. To accept that God wants to be with you. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A prophecy incidentally comes to the nation of Judah in a very, very dark time. You got a a wicked king who's sacrificing his kids in the fire. He's not looking to God, doesn't want anything to do with God. And the prophet Isaiah says, listen, God wants to help you, you're in in big trouble. He's just been invaded, 200,000 people, 100,000 people were slaughtered, many of his own family. 200,000 people were taken captive. And now he's facing a second invasion. It's a bad time. And Isaiah comes and says, listen, God wants to help you. And God wants to be with you. The virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. And the king surprisingly does this. He says, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe God would want anything to do with me. You know, there's some of you here today, and honestly, in some respects, that's how you're approaching a relationship with God. You're saying, you know, John, if you knew where I've been and you knew what I've done and you knew what I've said, you would know God doesn't want anything to do with me. And that's not true. And it will take courage for you to look past your own failings and failures either perceived or real and say, you know what? There's a God who is bigger than I am and his ways aren't my ways. And there's a God who loves me more than I can imagine. And he wants to be near me. And it will take courage for you to accept that and to look to him believing he's gonna help you. Takes courage. God loves you more than you can imagine. God cares about you more than you can comprehend. And some of you have concluded that you're too far gone and that there's no use, and God is coming to you on this Christmas Sunday, and he's saying, listen, I came because I wanna be close to people. That's the message of Christmas. The God of the universe invading a broken humanity to get close to them, to help them, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that is save ourselves from our sin. And even that requires courage to believe. Requires courage to believe that God sent his one and only son to die for your sin and my sin, that if we would put our faith, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Takes courage to believe that. A lot of people ridicule it. it. Takes courage to believe it, it's true takes courage to believe that, that if you knew him at one time and you find yourself here today living away from him because of decisions and choices and things that happened in your life that you can come back to him. It takes courage to believe that, but it's true. Jesus said this, he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out, it takes courage. Christmas story is all about courage. Courage to accept the animosity of the world and the ridicule of the world. Courage to step into the adventure of God's will. Courage to accept the authority of God's word. And courage to believe that God comes near to walk with us, to help us. And it starts with receiving him as savior or rededicating our heart to him as Lord. Takes courage.